This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Trap Brewing Company. And um, yeah, so it just started from there. So I started out brewing uh, 2017 with Charles, and that was quite tricky. First few months trying to learn each other's language. Because I was doing some training for uh, along the, the beer smellership lines as well at the time that I just found out. Uh, and again, just world crumbled around me. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Thirst Time, the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most creative minds in the craft beer industry today. Today's guest, we have Sophie Durand of Burnt Mill. Now, as you may have got from that little snippet at the start, Sophie's journey has not been an easy one. Right in the middle of her career, um, as she was working for Muntins, she came to realize that she had quite a severe allergy to gluten, um, which, as a brewer, is quite a handicap. Um, For a moment there, it may have looked like that career was going to nosedive and she was going to have to start something totally new. But she met Charles of Burnt Mill and went on to become Burnt Mill's head brewer, producing some of the best West Coast pale ales and IPAs in the country, as well as a whole host of other styles. A really fascinating look at how she managed that. What was also really cool was that it was International Women's Day, the week that uh, Sophie and Charles came to see us. And Sophie is the founder of the Open Brew Days, so it was really cool to get her take on that uh, and just a sense of like, whoa, this is a global thing now. (laughs) That's an incredible achievement. So yeah, uh, yeah, quite a few topics we cover on this one. Uh, a massive thanks to Sophie for doing it and sitting down as I ambushed her uh, and said, do you want to sit down and do a podcast? Uh, seems to be the way that I do it these days. No planning, uh, all spare at the moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's get into it. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the First Time and this is our interview with Sophie Durand and we start with that all important question. What was that first beer for her? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I, the, nothing specific. It was um, basically when I finished uni, I was in a sales role, which ended up just thinking, this is absolutely god awful. And so I just quit. And I was like, oh, crap, I've got to make money. I've got to live. <laughs> um, so I just found a job in a local pub that had a cellar and served some really good real ales and just fell in love with beer, uh, gen- in, in, just in general, really. And um, I ended up running the cellar there and looking after all the beers and absolutely found it a fascinating world. And this is, like, back in mid-2000s. Yeah. So before keg and can in craft yeah. beer was really a major thing. So it was all, all the different casks, and there was maybe... 200 breweries in the country. Wow. <laughs> that is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Just to think that, that that's not even that long ago. Yeah, yeah. And now we're like 2,000, maybe 3,000 or yeah, so. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so just the world of cast beer was just brilliant and I loved it and I just wanted to learn more about it. And um, a local brewery, uh, Brentwood Brewing Company, was expanding and I basically asked them for a job. And then, yeah, and as I started brewing there, so I learned on the job, and as I started brewing, I just was like, hmm, a lot of this is really quite familiar. 
and I did an equine science degree at uni. Yeah. So although it's based around horses, we did a lot about nutrition and starch breakdowns and oh. learned about enzymes and how basically how cells function and how the body works. So I had all of that base knowledge there. And so actually learning the scientific stuff about brewing was just pretty easy because it was, it was already knowledge that yeah. I had. Okay, so you went to Brentwood, was it, did you say? Yeah, Brentwood Brewery. Brent, Brentwood yeah. Brewery. Um, and what kind of things were you doing there to, to start off? Uh, it was all cask. Um, right. So I started off in a little five-barrel plant and in someone's garage. You straight into brewing? Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, straight wow. into brewing. Yeah, a little five-barrel plant. I loved it. Back in someone's garage and... Um, you know, in the days when it really, really kind of jumbled together kit and having to move water from the kettle into the hot liquor tank to then sparge and heat up and transfer and all sorts of different things. Um, and then they were expanding to a 15-barrel kit, mm-hmm. which has then had to learn a whole new kind of style and way of brewing because... We were at the point that in the original brewery, just fill up the mash tun and just pour a couple of sacks of malt in it. And then we started off having um, proper hydrators and actually going full into a little bit more technical kind of brewing side of things. It's really interesting to think of like the level, like how simply you can produce beer to how complicated you can produce beer. Oh, yeah. As in like you can, you know, you could get a homebrew kit that's very simple and you could come out with a beer at the end of it. And but it can be absolutely great beer. And, and it could be great. It, it's, in fact, sometimes I think of the beers that we used to produce on our old kit where you had so little control. It was just basically a glorified homebrew kit, but there was something kind of magic about them. Yeah. And you can't really recreate <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> you get all the bells and whistles. I mean, you know, we got all the bells and whistles to a degree and uh, it's probably taken us a year to get to a point where we're actually really kind of like happy with the what we're doing because there's just so much more mm. process involved. So what was that like like for you? Was it exciting or was it kind of just like eye-opening to see like the levels of change or, or equipment that could change the, the quality of the end product? It was really exciting. Um, yeah, and it's a point of having to dial in all the recipe or dial up all the recipes from obviously five barrel kit. Mm and then trying to match them as best as possible and then try and keep them consistent and everything else. Um, I mean, you also learn when you're doing all these kind of different things and learning on different kits how actually resilient beer can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we've had points that... Um, I mean, how traditional the brewery was because they've got um, open-top fermenters and uh, had, like... Um, um, half metal lids yeah. Uh, so you could just split them open and just crop off your yeast and everything else and <laughs> I remember this one bit the lid fell into the beer like twice and like oh crap <laughs> <laughs> but it was absolutely fine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know all of this you know we try and keep everything clean now yeah. maybe we just need to drop some lids into it um what was it like to brew that kind of beer? So you said about open top fermenters. Can you go into a little bit more detail about the processes that, that went into it? Um, it was a lot simpler than doing keg and can yeah. and style of stuff and uh, a lot less 
to, hmm, I suppose not less technical in terms of cellaring, although mm-hmm. we still had to crop yeast and acid wash the yeast and make sure that that was nice and clean for then transferring into the next beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and cask stuff, because it's so quick. All you're doing is testing for your gravities. And then when it's, uh, when it's sort of settled down to near finishing point, you chill it, and then a couple of days later you rack it. Yeah. And it was just nice and easy and not having to worry about dry hopping and um, any of that kind of malarkey. And so you had no real worries about your yields and trub and hops coming through into your cask and everything else. I I, kind of love it. I'm just kind of like thinking in my head how interesting it is that cask is a more complicated beer in the cellar but way more, uh, what, a simpler process to produce. Yeah. And yeah. On, the alternative is obviously that a can and a keg is a way easier thing to sell, a, but a much harder kind of, yeah, way yeah. more process involved. But then also, like these days, we do a bit of cask at Burnt Mill, and um, it's, with dry hopping these beers as well, we then have to try and manage that a little bit. But... I think because all the brewers there all started out doing cask and we're all fairly experienced at, at doing cask beers. We're like, okay, yeah, just dry hop and just chill and get Jim it ready in. to pack. Yeah. And we go through a little sock filter to just try and catch any debris coming through. But it's just easy and simple. And that's the beauty of it, I guess. Mm. And it's so funny when you when you get like, and I always reference like Americans, but actually European brewers as well, and they always want like, real in-depth knowledge of like how do you produce cask like what do you do and you're like <laughs> kind of just put it in you know not much <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's kind of the beauty is what you don't do rather than what you, yeah. you do do almost yeah. um yeah because of course you're not checking for diacetyl or anything like that yeah. in cask because it's the- theoretically going to be clearing out in the cask yeah because there's a secondary fermentation yeah. that was happening there yeah um so yeah, how, how did that develop then? How did your kind of career kickstart? So you straight into brewing, which is pretty amazing, really, from just working behind the bar, mm. working in the cellar. Um, did it kind of just snowball? And get, Did you think, maybe I want to go back to school and learn more about this? Or were you just kind of like head down, let's see where this takes me? Um, I... I did the general certificate in brewing with the IBD, Mm -hmm. um, various other different courses and learning things and seminars and stuff as you do, all led to sort of gaining and growing the knowledge. Um, I looked at doing the diplomas in brewing and then saw that they're 100% exam. I was like, yeah, no, no, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if it's 100% coursework. I was going to yeah. say 100% brewing beer. <laughs> and um, so I just never went down that route. Um, so I've just gained my knowledge through doing just seminars and other courses mm. and just self-learning as well. And also learning from other people. Because you pick up so much from talking to other brewers, um, and whether it's just over the phone or collab brew days. And, and what, you know, so what kind of timeline are we talking about here when you were, so you were at Brentwood for... So about many? seven years. Okay. And, and then... You, so you had that kind of real, it's a really like gate, nice gateway in really, where you're kind of going from a relatively simple setup to a mm. more complicated setup. I don't know where Brentwood 
ended up at by the end? Um, just it's still a fairly traditional yep. task. Uh, they're doing some bottle. Or we started doing bottle beer when we grew uh, in size. Yeah. So we could sell to sort of shops and farm shops and everything else. And was this feeling like, like a? Was it challenging enough for you? Or what? What were you thinking inside? Did you do you really want to get your head down and see where this kind of career could take you? Because I guess with a brewery like that, maybe it's going to be quite formulaic. For the yeah. rest, of you know, it's about consistent product, yeah. simple processes. You know, what what was it in you that kind of wanted to you to push on? Um, I think I always have this drive of fulfilment, yeah. And I felt like I had come to the end of my road with ben, uh, with Brentwood, um, and just wanted to learn something or go and do something a little bit different mm-hmm. um i suppose develop myself a little bit further as well and a job came up at muntins muntins malt as a brewing technologist wow so um i went for it and um yeah just i was there ended up being there for a couple of years and that's where i discovered that i was really really reacting to Barley and wheat, and my pretty much my whole life crumbled around me. Oh man! And I was just like, oh, <laughs> what am I going to do? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew uh, before we kind of sat down and started talking. I was like, is it okay to talk about this? Because it's a very interesting um, part of, I guess, that, like you say, that that you know, you you've you've been focused on one thing, and then suddenly one of the main, what, like, argue the main kind of part of that mm. that process malt you react to which yeah. means that obviously you know you you are no longer able to kind of consume the thing that you're producing yeah um which is not ideal <laughs> not, really, no. not ideal i mean i've seen like you know you know restaurants where the, the the chef's got an allergy to shellfish or something like that and he has to get his other chefs to kind of, because mm. because he can't, he, he understands the process. But th- there's a really interesting part of this is that then it becomes so process dr- like driven in your mm. in your mind that you have to analyze it on all of the parameters of what it means to to brew a good beer, yeah. even though you can't necessarily drink it at the end. Yeah. But yeah. having the experience at Brentwood and then at Muntins as well, you, I mean, at Brentwood, it's great because we played about with so many different styles and experimented. We did like big stouts, uh, porters, did saisons, and all sorts. Oh, so it was cool. great fun and really, yeah. really good fun. And um, tried all sorts of different speciality beers and worked with chocolate, mint, and various different fruits and oh, everything that's amazing. else. So yeah, yeah, I was thinking it, it was this super trad kind of like three beer. Uh, Oh, it's, so yeah, we yeah. did have the like the standard sort of classic yeah. beers. Um, but then there was experimentation. And then we, yeah, and yeah. then but we were allowed to do that kind of experimenting, and it, yeah, they were a great team and good guys to work with and for, and um, we, yeah, just had loads of fun. Um, so, so I learned a lot about different ingredients and best ways to add them, mm-hmm. and. Also, being really, I really love cooking as well. And yeah. so, understanding different ingredients and flavors and kind of how they work in cooking as well has helped with understanding on in where you should put things in brewing. 
um, like certain things are going to work better in the mash tun and certain things are going to work better sort of in the finished product or steeping cold or anything, something like that. Well, you're speaking my language now because that, that's the only way I kind of think about <laughs> brewing is because I never, I'm not a brewer, um, but I, again, I love cooking and things like that. So it's always about like what, you know, how things are utilized and why they're utilized and what part they're utilized and mm. how you get the best kind of flavor from each like that's the thing that excites me the most I think and it's funny because I thought Matt maybe was a little bit more Matt our head brewer was a little bit more like science driven but we've just done like three open brew days for the the International Women's Day brews and um, he kept talking about baking cakes basically that's how he like <laughs> thinks about brewing he's just like I'm baking a cake like and I was like oh this is really interesting to hear you kind of talk talk like that um, okay so let's let's go to the next step after um after you've been a brewer, you go to Muntins. So what kind of thing were you doing there? So I had a one hectolitre pilot plant that I could play about with. Did um, various malt trials and brews through that. And then had customers who came along and wanted to do trials and experiments on the kit as well. So um, that was great as well. Um, I did really enjoy it and to different brewers and getting different brewers in and playing around with different ingredients and mm -hmm. stuff that was really cool but i did miss brewing on a commercial basis as well um i don't know what it is about brewing on a big kit and brewing for people and you know seeing people just really happy with beer yeah and i just felt like i was that kind of step away from it i was just removed a little bit mm -hmm. and uh, yeah i really did miss that Now, I've done a couple of episodes on the magic ingredients that go into beer, and I haven't done malt yet. So maybe we can just talk a little bit about the magic of malt, because I guess that's all you were kind of centered around. At, at yeah. That, that was what you yeah. were playing around with. What is malt, and, and what can it do to a beer? Okay, so you're really basic. <laughs> let's, let's go wherever you want to take it, Sophie. So you, um, your barley gets harvested normally around August, September time. And then actually barley needs to just chill out mm -hmm. and before it then is ready for germination. So you're looking at probably around about six to ten weeks for barley to just chill out. And so it has to sit in silos or at the farmer's, uh, in the farmer's barns or whatever until it's ready for malting. So it then comes in for malting and gets malted, um, various different kind of techniques like you've got your floor maltings and then you've got your salad and bins and then you've got your drums and all various different malting techniques that have developed over the years and what are each one of those trying to do they're literally just germinating the the grain the barley so you're basically tricking the malting process is tricking the grain into thinking it's in the ground and it's going to start to grow so you're getting the initial growth um from the grain, which then breaks down some of the proteins and starches in there and also creates some sugars and develops the enzymes and wakes up the enzymes to then work more when we're actually wanting to the, use it for brewing purposes. So once the grains have been germinated, so steeped in water and germinated, they get it, then go into um, drying stage and then the 
grains get dried down to probably, oh, God, off the top of my head, maybe about three, four percent moisture. Right. So they're not. It's, it's basically halting the germination process. So you're not going to get any further germination growth from it. And then the grains then get um, slightly, slightly cooked. So that's not quite the right term. Mm-hmm. But because you're sending warm air through the grains, you're creating some Maillard reactions. So you're getting some flavour and some colour from, from the grains during the drying process. So that's when you get that sort of sweet, multi horlicks kind of characteristic from the grains mm-hmm. and then um we also get them as brewers and rehydrate them in a load of water and then we're getting our sweet wort which then provides sugar for the yeast to chomp away at so i'd had phil from whc labs here a couple of weeks ago and we did one on yeast which was just like purely on on yeast and the amazing qualities that it has and i was kind of telling him you know, the, the thing that everyone falls for, I guess, in, in craft beer uh, are hops. You know, they're the yeah. kind of, you know, they're, 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 they're the center stage. They're the thing that people really are attracted to and kind of know. But, you know, it quickly became apparent to me through just hanging out with Matt and being in the brewery all the time, just like the complexities and amazing things that malt can bring mm. to a beer. Yeah. You know, it's the very foundation you know, it's 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 the it is the foundation of what a beer is going to be, and the yeah. textures and the mouthfeel and the like flavors. It's so fascinating, and it's really I guess some people would probably maybe sing its praises, but it kind of this unsung hero of of uh, yeah, of, of the it beer is. world. And actually, the it does provide a lot of flavor. Yeah, and not necessarily just flavor; it's your mouthfeel and your body in the beer as well. Mm. We were talking about it earlier. Um, with some of the guys down the brewery floor, that like, modern malts are made to malt very quickly, or to germinate very quickly and very easily, and they are high yielding. And so you can mash in at like 70 degrees, 72 degrees, and you're still going to get quite a lot of sugars out of mm-hmm. it. Um, <clears throat> whereas you get your more heritage varieties with different protein structures and different contents of proteins and they're going to taste quite different and probably a little bit fuller in the mouth and have a little bit more of that malty cereally kind of characteristic and flavor but these aren't going to yield quite as high as your more modern varieties yeah and then of course it's not even going into your two row six row and all that kind of well, I'd, you'd lose me straight away there, but I'd be excited to talk about it. But I'd be like, what, what are we talking about that? <laughs> um, but again, that's that's really interesting, like the heritage malt thing, because um, again, to reference another guest, and it's someone that's kind of been st- stuck in my mind quite a lot, which is James Rylance, who started Ideal Day, and he's going for full regenerative kind of um, brewing practices. So, so malt is right at the heart of what he's doing, because... It is, um, it's a monocrop, isn't it? I guess in, 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 in terms of like the scale that it has to be produced. Mm. So he's looking at, you know, heritage malts, like uh, organic regenerative malts, like mixed field malts, like all these kind of interesting um, takes on that, that maybe have slipped out of the mainstream of brewing and also the practices that go, kind of go along with them. 
Do you think, you know, how do you see malt progressing and, and, and what will brewers want from it, do you think? That's get, yeah, that's really interesting. Because I think certain malts are great for certain types of beers. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you're doing like a traditional cast beer, then like a heritage malt is is that much better for it. In, in my opinion, obviously. <laughs> it might not be everyone's. Your opinion is gold, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, because you've not got your carbonation and your hops to hide behind. Mm-hmm. And so having that little bit of extra something from coming in from the malt is is worthwhile getting. And, um, yeah, and playing about with heritage malts is great. And I think it there's a real depth of characteristics that you can get into beers from it. Um, yeah, it's tricky. Cause it, but it depends on what you want to get out of your beer, really, and out yeah. of your brewery. Because if you're wanting, like, the modern craft beers, it doesn't really matter. You just use your bog standard pale malts and you get your high yields and everything else from it. Um, But if you're wanting something that is a little bit fuller, a little bit different, um, so, like, I don't know, producing, like, a barley wine, Mm -hmm. then it's worth having, like, a heritage malt. And when variety. we just, uh, just, just for like reference point, what is a heritage malt to just like say a regular malt? Yeah, so um, you've got old varieties like Marisotta, Golden Promise. Um, in Suffolk, I know that there's a Chevalier, which is a really old heritage variety um, that has been brought back from the brinks of brewing history. Amazing. <laughs> um, and they're like Chevalier is really high protein. And you get much quite a different flavour characteristic from it. Interesting, but it's going to be quite. It's quite expensive to buy because right. there is so limited on how much can be grown. But these, um, I don't know about Golden Promise, but all of these heritage and old malt varieties were used fifty, sixty years ago, and uh, by brewers, and they're not actually on the. Um, registered malt approved malting variety anymore because their yields are just so poor but brewers really? still love them and yeah. so they're still grown and malted and when we talk again i'm just 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 for reference point what what but when you say yield what does that mean so more sugars yeah yeah basically higher high sugars keeping the nitrogens and the proteins low um and yeah, like you get uh, newer varieties like Planet, Propino, um, Flagon actually is a fairly old variety as well, barley, um, but it's still used quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, yeah, they're all going to yield far better for the maltings and also for the brewer. So if you're uh, particularly useful for like the big mass production breweries and they really are going after yield and volume and um so that that's essentially why all the malts and barleys have developed over the years yeah it's super super interesting it's it's nice that we just took a sidetrack into malt i was (laughs) was like maybe i need to like reference this is a malt episode now (laughs) um yeah there's so much to dive into there like i guess it's just one of those things that um is so important for beer like i mean we we had one 
I remember chatting to Matt and he was saying that, uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was said that basically the nitrogen level was super low for that that uh, yield of uh, malt that we were using and that affected hot, uh, like hay stability and all of these mm. kind of stuff, you know? So it's the chemistry at that base level is so important, which is really fascinating, I guess, for you as a brewer to have gone into that field and really kind of looked at it and um, expanded your expanded your knowledge base on it mm. but then <clears throat> let's get to the uh the tragedy in this story so you 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 find uh, so this is how long into your career like eight years well yeah so working at muntins so seven yeah <coughs> eight around about eight years eight in, years eight. into this career that you've kind of loved you've thrown yourself into yeah the, the, the very foundation of of of, of beer it becomes your enemy yeah. of a kind. And I suppose being at Muntins and being surrounded by it constantly, it was just making me really ill. Oh, wow. And I got to the point that I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without being exhausted no and out of breath. And that's just walking up a flight of stairs like, this is not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was just constantly feeling like I sort of had a cold, basically, and just wanted to sort of climb into bed and curl up at like seven, eight o'clock in the evening. Um, and yeah, I got to the point that I just, uh, I need to get out of. And did you know at this point what it was that was causing it? Or was it? Yeah, I had to do my own dietary elimination. Right. Um, doctors are a little bit useless, useless about it all. Um, but I suppose that kind of stuff when, cause I had various different, allergy tests and stuff but nothing was coming up um yeah yeah so i just i started out cutting out gluten from my diet and then um still drank a little bit of beer and then i just realized that actually drinking beer was still making me feel really poorly Mm -hmm. so i had a month without drinking any beer and started to feel much better. And that's fine. I thought, right, okay. So after a month, I then tried, I thought, oh, I'll try a gluten-free beer. And as soon as I tried a gluten-free beer, I just felt myself going really flush in the face. No and way. felt my throat just going. I was just like, oh, man, this is really bad. Mm. Um, yeah, so I carried on there for... Not much longer after that. Um, around similar sort of time, actually, Charles uh, from Burnt Mill had, hadn't started yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd come over to the Maltings to have a look around and do a couple of courses that I was running um, as the technologist there. And just got chatting and um, just really got on well. And that was kind of my, then my breakout of Muntins and back into commercial brewing. Um, <clears throat> even was though there, I... Well, just, just, just stop it there. Like, w- was there a point where you were just thinking, this is, I'm just going to have to do something totally different? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just about to say, like, I, I basically had a complete breakdown and just oh, man. thought, oh, Christ, what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. You know, still felt passionate about it, but I thought... Like, How does this work? Like, yeah. I can't drink it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then after talking to Charles, we decided that, you know, he he was obviously happy to take me on knowing that I couldn't drink anything. Um, 
just because I had the experience and knowledge and background of from the eight nine years of brewing that I'd done at that point mm-hmm. and um yeah so it just started from there so I started out brewing uh 2017 amazing with Charles and that was quite tricky first few months trying to learn each other's language because mm-hmm. I was doing some training for uh, along the, the beer smellership lines as well at the time that I just found out uh, yeah. and again just well crumbled around me um and Charles had done um Cicerone stuff and didn't quite realize how different the languages are between the two sort of lines of beer tastings and different languages that are used for different flavors and characteristics and stuff and so I had to really learn and try and understand the language that Charles was using when he was tasting beer. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. presents the first time and this is our interview with Sophie Durand. Yeah. Did that feel like a lifeline for you then when that kind of like, I guess a chance meeting and getting on with someone who's just about to start a brewery at a time where you're feeling like this might be the end of your career in this or like the end of the road for, for the journey that you've been on? Yeah, I suppose it was a bit of a lifeline. Yeah. yeah. Was um, it exciting or did you feel trepidation because obviously you knew that you had a restriction now on, on what you could and couldn't do? Um, which is still, based, uh, yeah, which is taste, but I, I obviously know that you yeah. had so much confidence in your ability, I guess. Yeah, no, it was exciting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was a bit anxious about it all. Um, and yeah, I still got, I have a passion for it and it's, it's not as intense as it was. It, was, it certainly has died down quite a bit because I can't drink it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, so, so, it really heart. sucks. Yeah. It really sucks. It really sucks. Especially when you're Especially smelling you... all these beers and like, oh my god, that smells amazing. Yeah, and you guys brew such amazing beers as well. Like <laughs> I can tell you that they're really good. Thanks. <laughs> so how does it look now then? Like what you know? That's really fascinating about like how you were saying about the two different courses and and, and the language that you used. And obviously, mm. the thing that's missing there is that you're not both tasting the the beer. Yeah. So you you're trying to use language that both of you can relate to without sitting down and having a beer at the end of the day kind of mm. kind of thing. So what did brewing become for you? Did it become a, a, a basically a, a checks and balances almost sheet of just like, this is, I know that if we do this in this way... It'll work. It'll work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was all fine. Challenging thing was then when with the haze craze because of course I stopped drinking beer as that was rising yeah. and everyone was then starting to produce hazy beers and I was like yeah I've never really drank them of course <laughs> yeah so when they say oh soft pillowy mouthfeel I'm like no I don't I, yeah that's really interesting <laughs> that's something that I've not really experienced that much of that's really fascinating because and I've referenced this a few times, but I sat down, we did we did a little interview for the Craft Beer Channel and um, Matt was talking about his, you know, trying to produce New England IPAs, but he was reading about them from America, never drank one, but was trying to recreate it. 
at home. Mm. So it's, it's a similar thing, basically. Yeah. It's just like that idea that you can read the kind of tasting notes on there, but you're just like, well, I've never tried this, but I can kind of try and hit... I feel like I know how to do these things. Yeah. Um, and actually, what's really, really interesting is when you do read about it, it's basically come from home brewers that have been trying to recreate English beers. <laughs> and homebrewers without finings and things like that in their own American hops. Is that where it came from? Is that kind uh, of I like think so. Yeah, ba- so basically, I think it? so. They're just trying to recreate English English beers. Yeah, because all English the yeast, like, it's very yeast-led, and that's yeah. all like, you know, LA3 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And, of course, if you're a home brewer, you're not going to do much about water chemistry, so you're going to have quite your high um, alkalinity in there and sort of probably low, fairly low sulfates and whatever else. So, um, yeah, actually recreating the beers with more of a stout water profile was just like, this feels really weird and wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes against everything that you've kind of yeah. trained yourself to, yeah. to, to know. Yeah. So I had to re-teach myself basically how to brew. No findings, what? What do you mean no kettle findings? <laughs> you want to you wanna not be able to see through the beer? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So was that an exciting challenge to take on though? Or was it quite daunting? Uh, quite daunting because yeah. obviously I couldn't taste it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I had Charles there and he was like, yeah, no, this is good. I'm really happy with that. So we obviously have developed and we do some, well, I hope pretty decent, hazy stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, we first started out more West Coast leaning, but with sort of slight hazes on some of our beers. So like Pintle's got a slight haze on it. Mm-hmm. Just don't use the findings in there. Um, but as we've kind of developed and carried on, it's nice having the two styles, sort of West Coast and New England, sort of running alongside each other. And <laughs> I say I say this in a really lovely way, but we're we're an old, aging <laughs> brewery team. <laughs> You all look young and fresh. To- <laughs> like all of our brewers have been brewing for at least 10 years plus. Wow. So all of our brewers learn how to brew doing cask and sort of West Coast kind of styles. And so um, producing West Coast for us is just easy. It's what yeah. we know. And, and produce- that's why they're so damn good. <laughs> and um, we've slowly over the last year, we've been dialing up the bitterness again. Because everyone's so used to drinking your New England's without any bitterness that actually when you have a West Coast, it's like, whoa, and knocks your head off. And um, so as we've been doing more and more West Coast, we've just been dialing up that bitterness ever so slightly just to get it up to... Weaning people back on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so if we kind of go from that point where, you know, you think that there's going to be... Um, almost like a career collapse for you because you've, 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 you've self-diagnosed yourself with that the gluten is, you know, at the front end of what's causing an issue for you. To the point where you're at now, you know, you've been with Burnt Mill, well, since day dot, I guess, from, yeah. from right at the beginning. What's that kind of journey been like for you? Do you feel like in a really, you know, you still obviously can't try the beers, but do you feel 
satisfied and accomplished in everything that you're you're doing otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I enjoy it. And it's it, we've got a great team. Really mm-hmm. love the team. Um, and we've got new challenges coming up in terms of sort of expansion and just gen- general growth and stuff. So um, that's always exciting. Um, I don't spend any time on the brew floor really these days. Um, I obviously sort of go out and check on things and mm-hmm. make sure that everything's still running okay and have sort of quick meetings with the brew team and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't brew anymore. I brewed on Wednesday for International Women's Collaboration Brew Day. And Amazing. I was like, oh, it feels so good. <laughs> Back on the tools. Yeah. Feeling and the hot steam of the and master. And I smashed again. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we should probably talk about, like, um, International Women's Day. You know, we've just, you know, it, it was on Wednesday. This episode might be coming down, like, a, a month or so away from it. But the, I, the, the International um, Women's Day Brew Days, I believe that you... Did some of the led some of the first ones? Is that yeah, so um, back in the days when I was at Brentwood, um, a now good friend of mine, Sarah Barton, um, started up Project Venus, and um, basically is collaboration brews throughout the UK with other female brewers. Yeah, and uh, it's absolutely brilliant. I loved it and learned so much. Networked, made loads of friends, and you then had a network of people that. You know, we could just ask questions and then also just have a giggle and yeah. have a real laugh. And it's my first real experience of collaborations. And, um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I thought, oh, how can we make this bigger? And then just came up with the idea of trying to create International Women's Collaboration Brew Day. Um, and it just made sense to make it on... International Women's Day, so 8th of March yeah. every year. And it's just absolutely huge. It's gone global. And this has been the 10th year of it. So um, you did the first one, like literally yeah, yeah, the first one. Yeah, so, yeah. In I, the world. I, I am the founder of the International Women's Collab Brew Day. Hey, so that's amazing. Because <laughs> yeah. Matt, Matt mentioned it and I was like, okay, well, that was, I didn't realise it was like the founding. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, but all stemmed from doing collaborations with other women in around the UK. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it just stemmed from there. And um, back then, um, a lady called Denise Ratfield, who did social media for the Pink Boot Society, um, helped me and kind of helped pull it all together and get the organisation of it done. And then we created a map a world map and then we could put pins of everyone taking part in the in the brew days and uh, yeah just over the years it's just grown and grown and grown and well, it's, you must it's feel just such, massive oh man like you know on wednesday pretty much every brewery that we follows social media was an international women's day brew yeah it's That's so like, humbling yeah that must be an amazing feeling to, yeah. to, to see that yeah and it's it's really kind of in the last four or five years that it really has kind of exploded with women in the industry. And it's only going to make things better because it's only opening up the doors for more minorities uh, in the industry and understanding that it is generally a friendly, welcoming industry. And there are a few bad eggs, but there isn't... I don't want to sound... 
really dismissive here, but there are bad eggs everywhere you go in the world. Yeah. And as a whole, I think the brewing industry is absolutely wonderful mm-hmm. in welcoming and helping people. Um, and so, yeah, just opening up the industry and getting more women involved and everything else and getting the passion there, and it's just going to hopefully expand the way for more minorities to just carry on and just be welcomed in the industry. Well, it just makes the industry so much better, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I would echo what you said. You know, for me, it's been a, an incredible industry to work with. Me and Sam were talking about the other day, just feeling so lucky to kind of be part of something where you actually feel camaraderie with, you know, what would be in maybe other industries competitors. You know, you feel yeah. like it's so nice, like, to have you guys here today and, and catch up and, you know, t- talk about times gone by and... Uh, and share ideas and, and, and look to, towards the future. And we've had the, you know, we, we hosted three open brew days here at the brewery. I don't know. Like, that's what, at the heart of, of having a beer, it's mm. like bringing people together is the main yeah. function of it, it feels Matt like. Matt was saying that um, it's like 20 strangers coming in in yeah. the morning. And then by the end of the day, they're all best mates and absolutely Amy sent Loving me a message it. the other day. I, I had to miss one and she was just like, yeah, everyone comes in a little bit nervous but having a cup of tea in the morning and then she was like, but by the end of the day, everyone's doing like selfies together. And, like, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's at the heart of what we do, you know, that, that connection mm. is kind of the beauty of beer, I, I think. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so cool, Sophie. That's something you should be really <laughs> proud of. That's, that's amazing to see. So if, if, if we kind of span out from there, uh, and it doesn't necessarily need to be with regards to this, but you know, in our industry, there's there's a lot of changes afoot from everything from just malt technology to uh, power bills going up to yeah. the market changing to a mat- like maturation of, of of what craft beer is in in you know 2022 2023. Get my years mixed up there. Um, how do you see the next kind of five years developing in the craft beer world? Um, that's really interesting. Um, I think actually this rising prices of everything is going to be really testing and trying. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we've seen a lot of breweries already closed down, um, which is sad. Obviously, it's people's livelihoods and jobs and everything else and people's passions. But as well, there's it's a very crowded market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, for the last 10 years, for the brewers have been like, oh, how's the, how are we going to carry on with this growth of new breweries and everything else? It's just not going to last. It's not sustainable. And now we're actually starting to see breweries starting to close. Mm-hmm. Um and unfortunately, under the really horrible circumstances of rising costs, and it, it yeah, it's it's going to be tough because having the diversity in the brewing industry with all the different breweries is what makes it really strong. Um, and it's yeah, going to be sad to see a lot of people leave and go. Mm-hmm. But then. I still know some, or here on the grapevines, that other people are starting to set up breweries and still going, and just like, he nuts. Yeah, I was gonna, <laughs> you guys are crazy. <laughs> um, 
So I think it's it's going to be a very trying time, but I think it will make the industry stronger. Um, I think naturally things are going to start going up more and more. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the last thing people give up, isn't it? Booze and fags. Yep, <laughs> they sustain right to the apocalypse. So, <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully, yeah, we'll be able to see it through and with difficulty, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be tough. But you kind of highlighted right at the start when you said, you know, when you first got into it, there was 200 breweries. You know, that, mm. that's exponentially grown to what I think its high point was 3,000 plus. Um, mm. That's a big growth factor. And I guess, yeah, um, you know, it's, it's something I've said a few times, but like brewing, brewing is hard. Like and as a small scale, it's really hard. So when you do get those squeeze of costs, it's going to take an effect. Yeah. Um, is there anything like developments that you feel excited about in, in other sectors? So, so malt is obviously something that you know about. Is there anything that's kind of happening in that area that you think will be really interesting for, for the craft beer industry? Um, I think more in the lines of sustainability. Because farming is hugely... Um, uh, negative on the environment mm-hmm. is yeah huge carbon effects in the environment and so I know a lot of maltsters at the moment are really working hard with the farmers that they work with to try and bring their carbon emissions down and a lot of it is down to fertilizers as well um, so I think there's going to probably be a lot in the way of regenerative farming and reducing the carbon effects and carbon emissions from, mm. from the farming side. So I think it's going to come more from there than malting. Malting's malting. You, you've got to go through the process and the stages, and it's, they use a lot of water and a lot of energy. Um, and then there's a lot of effluent that comes off it. Um, I know someone like Muntins um, have got a anaerobic, massive anaerobic digester plant that then creates energy to go back into the grid and then they're creating fertilizer the uh, last time i heard they're trying to get it um registered for use for farmers wow um i assume that they've managed that i don't know i've not heard any of the latest um and now i know that simpsons are working really hard towards all that sustainability kind of stuff as well don't really have much interaction with many other monsters throughout the uk but i think they're all going to be really fighting for creating sustainability. Well, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because it's a, it, it, when sustainability starts making business sense as well, that's when you're going to really see it. So, like, I spoke to hop growers, um, Jason and Jeff from Peralt Farms, the other day, and they were saying they have, like, lots that are organic. Um, mm. You know, it's a smaller part of the market, but they're doing them. But they were saying the interesting factor is that Maybe the hops we get won't be certified organic, but a lot of the procedures and stuff that they're working with over there are going to come into normal hop production mm. because it makes way more business sense, you know, like especially with the cost of nitrogen, fertilizer and all this kind of stuff and and the chemicals that get used. So it's kind of interesting that, that dynamic shift of just like, it's not only good for the planet, but it can make sense for business as well. Yeah. And yeah, I guess, definitely. you know, that hopefully, again, to reference the, the conversation with um, 
with with James is that you, you get to a point where as brewers you're not even making a conscious choice but the choice that you're making is is a good one <laughs> yeah because it has to be yeah um, yeah really fascinating mm. kind of area um okay so let's wrap this up uh thank you so much for doing this Sophie and and you had at least five minutes notice of me saying (laughs) (laughs) right so we're gonna go do uh we're gonna go do an interview so I appreciate you taking the time to to do this um now the the last one is an is an interesting one because it's like the uh the pre-apocalypse beer so I always frame it like there's this little you're in this bar it can brew any beer it's got every beer that's ever been made behind behind the counter uh, there's a little flash on the TV and it's, uh, it just flashes up and says, new flash, uh, a comet's about to hit Earth in an hour. Uh, and the barman comes and slaps the bar and he says, what are you drinking? Now, obviously we've got a gluten intolerance. <laughs> <laughs> so it can be, if you can go back to the days of, of the beers that you loved and what you did like drinking, you know, what, what would that beer be? One of my most standout beers going back was uh, the Odell IPA. Amazing. When they imported it in, or exported it to the UK. Yeah. <laughs> Many eons ago. God, I've shown my age a lot today, no. haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> That's a classic. I mean, they're, 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 they're the ones, you know, it's interesting. I'd say that they're some of the most common answers is is that classic kind of like West Coasty, resinous, yeah. American IPA. Yeah. And um, actually, because recently I have been uh, on a path of trying to heal my body and make myself a bit better. And so at Chris, our Chris, work's Christmas do, um, I decided to have a, a sip of beer. Because <gasps> <laughs> um, I knew I was going to suffer anyway because I was just drinking alcohol. <laughs> Pilot on, pilot all of at once. Yeah, Christmas was very downhill after yeah. that. <laughs> I hurt a lot. <laughs> so, what did you have? Um, so, I had a sip of our Pacific Crest, and oh my god, it tasted so good. I was just like, oh my god, that is just divine. Um, was that so. a moment of real? Because that must have been really interesting. You know, you've been brewing these beers for so long, and to actually realise that the beer you're producing is really fucking good. <laughs> You know, even though it's only a sip. Yeah, I've not. Ta- I've not had a. Actually, I'd had a tiny, tiny sip of our swimming giants when it was in in tank and ready to be yeah. packed. But since then, I haven't had any more because I know that I still react to it, and yeah. I'd just rather not at the moment. One day, one day I might not react, and one day I might be able to enjoy a beer. Yeah. But <laughs> oh. whether, I whether hope that day come. is soon, yeah. I hope that day is soon. Well, I can certify that the beers you produce, Sophia, are, are next level in it. Oh, thank Those you. West Coast beers, especially, are, are really special. And I think anyone that likes that kind of style is always looking towards you guys for, for, for those beers, um, including ourselves. So you're here doing a collaboration with us today, which is a West Coast IPA. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly <laughs> enough, with a touch of New Zealand hops, though, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, um, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm excited to try that one. Thanks so much, Sophie. And that's it. Another episode done. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Sophie for sitting down and doing that uh, in the spur of the moment, as it were. Um, yeah, loads covered on that one. I hope you enjoyed it. 
we'll be back soon with another episode